Hey guys, I uh, just thought we'd give you a quick heads up. So this week's episode, Ryan and I, for the sake of comedy, end up swearing a bit more than we normally do. So if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, this is your warning that this particular episode might not be for you. Uh, we'll go back to our normal routine next show, but for this one, it's a little bit more South Park and a little less Simpsons. All right, enjoy. Prepare yourself. For Earthling Entertainment with your hosts, Joe and Ryan. Hello and welcome to another episode of Earthling Entertainment with your hosts, Joe and Ryan. And today I am actually with Ryan. He's here. Look, look. I'm, I'm here. I'm hitting him. I'm here. It's true. It's me. He. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. No one wants just Joe, man. <laughs> I, don't know. I thought you did a great job. I I I laughed a lot. Well, thank you. You I did a good job, that. my friend. I appreciate that. Last episode, don't don't skip it. Joe Joe killed that shit. Uh well, you know, I thought it was funny that the 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 episode where we do Boy Scout Lane, you weren't there for. I was saying that too because yeah, I, I'm I'm a Boy Scout. I he's grew a, up he's an Eagle Scout. Yes, you yes. got the certifications, right? I mean, I do Eagle Scout double silver palm. See, Thank you very much. That is some... Explain to me. That's the highest, highest you can get in the Boy Scout ranking. Is that correct? Yes. It goes bronze, gold, silver, double bronze, double gold, double silver. My and, and that's just length of time after you reach Eagle that you stay active in the troop and you have to do merit badges and stuff. So I did a lot of merit badges. So yeah, nerd. Not me. Not at all. <laughs> I think it's very epic. I'm just saying, and there's a lot of things. I mean, if you, hypothetically, if you ever want to join the Peace Corps, man, they're going to love that shit. And I got Vigil Honor member in Order of the Arrow, which I believe is one of the highest See, that, uh, that you can get in Order of the Arrow, which is a high honors, high honors society or whatever of Boy Scouting. Only so many Scouts can even be put into the Order of the Arrow in the first place. And... uh I pretty much got it just because I was the only one who was geeky enough to put on the costume and do the ceremonies. Oh, no, 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 dude. I think you're selling yourself short. That is outstanding. That is some really awesome stuff. It was fun. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I was, you know, I was proud. You know, I, I gave a good performance. I'm like, for, you know, I don't I don't want this to be boring. Well, yeah, and to be clear, you're dressed up like a Native American, I yep. imagine, because it's called Order of the Arrow. Alawat Sakima. Oh. Yes. I wonder, uh, and I mean nothing disrespectful to anyone when I say this, but I wonder how the Native American people feel about this. Are they for it, or does it feel like you are, you know, stopping, stopping on their culture? We went to, like, National Jamboree and uh, NOAC, which is a National Order of the Arrow conference, and uh, there were always uh, a lot of indigenous people there, uh, part know. like, leading a lot of dances and stuff like that. It was... And, a lot of the scouts were super into that. They'd all have their full dance get-ups. It was actually like a whole thing. It was crazy. That's kind of awesome. I don't know. If you ever need a podcast host who also can tie 400 different knots, we got Ryan. Actually, I sucked at the knots. Oh, the nice. one thing I know. I could do a bowline. <laughs> you could do a bowline. Listen, Ryan, Ryan I had a plan to hole. take you sailing. Now I just don't know. Around the tree <laughs> and back into the hole. All right. Well, anyways, guys, on this episode of Earthling Entertainment, like every episode, we have a little bit of the spooky, a little bit of the creepy, a little bit of the macabre, maybe aliens, maybe ghosts. And then we have the entertainment section where we'll cover uh, celebrity deaths if they happen, celebrity news if it's going on. And, you know, to be clear, not celebrity entertainment. So yes. it might be video game. It might be movies. Uh, you know, it, people you might have never heard of, but you were a, a fan of their work and didn't even know it. I know. That's always fun. That happens a lot. Us. It does. And then you hear about it and you're like, holy shit, they were a part of like everything that was great. Everything. Everything. So, Ryan, uh, just to jump back a little bit into your Boy Scout years, do you have any really creepy ghost stories or anything that you would tell? I mean, or is there an encounter? What is, Do you have anything of that sort that happened? We had a tale of the Headless Ranger. Aha. Uh -huh. Give me the give me the punchlines of this. I'm not the punchlines. The bullet points is what I mean to say. Uh, took place back in the late 1800s. He uh, was you know riding out, and a, a little girl was uh, getting getting like attacked by I think like wolves. I think is like the story or coyotes. Yeah, that's and so right. he's riding out, and on the way he missed a low limb, 
and it took his head off. And now he still is heard roaming at night, searching for the little girl to save her. And, uh, yeah, that's the one, that was the one story. Okay, yeah, and also one more. Hold on, I want to get, I want to jump back here. Yeah. How fast do you have to be riding on a horse to get decapitated by a branch? Right? I, I just, mean, I feel like you would break your neck, but to lose your head completely? Dude, he was hauling ass. He must have been. Perhaps the branch was, had, had little, little spikes in it. But I think the one that was more famous now that I remember it was told to me when I was a young scout is the Wampus Kitty. The Wampus Kitty. The Wampus Kitty. It was the basically... The Wampus Kitty. Basically a Bigfoot tiger. <laughs> okay. Like, so like a saber to... Like, oh, no, like a humanoid tiger. Yeah, like stood on its hind legs. And, well, the whole legend started because there's like a kennel of dogs that is really nearby and late at night when all the dogs are going nuts, it does sound creepy. It sounds like, it doesn't sound like anything you're used to hearing from far away. It echoes weird. And everybody said, Oh, that's the wampus kitty. The wampus kitty. That's right. That's cool. So there you go. Those are the two legends of uh D bar a that I know of. And that's a Michigan, like big boy scout camp. Really? That's awesome. So, uh, the only camp story I ever heard wasn't I wasn't actually at camp. I was just at a camp, and uh, they told me it was stomp drag. Where, uh, long story short, there was a a gentleman who you know what we're just gonna cut the crap. I think he escaped from the same asylum, and he got screwed up with chemicals or something like that. Like he, it, it deformed him and it messed up his brain. So his whole leg kind of froze because uh, after he murdered someone, he had a stroke. And so he would stomp Bad and then time. drag his feet. And then he's got like this melted face and he comes at you. You know what? I think it was an amalgamation of a bunch of things. Because now that I look back at it, the person who told the story may have just been pulling shit out of their ass. Either way, <laughs> I'll, I'll call that a local legend. All right. I'm going to look into it. I'm going to Google stomp drag. And if there actually is a story that beyond the one that I, the convoluted crap I just laid out, I'm going to, we're going to do it next episode. Yep, yep. Uh, remember the game? You just lost the game. What? The game? No. The game, the game? No, what are you talking about? The whole point of the game is you're not supposed to bring up the game. You're supposed to forget that the game exists. The game is just always going on. But the moment that you're reminded of the game, you lost. So you would just like, the, the joke, I don't I remember this was a middle school and a high school thing. It's like, hey, you just lost the game. And it'd be like, ah, oh, damn. That is some wacky nonsense. I have no idea what you're talking about. I was never a part of that. That was totally a thing. I don't know. Maybe it was in Scouts. That, too, that I think. feels like the the circle game where, uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that got kind of screwed up lately. But where you make the circle with your hand, and if you hold it below your belt and you make someone look, yep. you get to punch him in the shoulder. Yep. That yep. was the origins of it before it became. I guess it's an alt right symbol now, which is horrifying. But. Don't play the circle game, apparently. We're taking it back. <laughs> We're take, fuck it. We're taking it back. Oh, my God. No, that, that's been a meme where it's like they'll do a picture really long, and you have to click. When you click the picture, you know, it extends, and you see the the symbol being held there. It's yeah, like, but it's ah. it's too associated with, with people I don't agree with at this point, so. Uh, yeah. Either way, uh, I'm going to say that, it, to me, it still means the, you know, you get, uh, from what I heard, I thought you get to kick him in the dick. <laughs> or is, I mean, that, or is guess, that too extreme? I guess that might be like a, a local variation. Maybe you just had friends who really wanted to kick you in the dick. Like, a, Well, apparently. You, you know, who hasn't kicked a, a buddy in the dick? Am I right, Joe? Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's happened. It's happened. All right. So, guys, uh, last week we had uh, our robot Jim Jim. And uh, I don't know, Ryan. He He's talking mad shit about you. You know, uh, I'm the one who reads the stories here on this podcast, Jim Jim, so... Suck it, Ryan. Hey, fuck you, buddy. I am 100 times the podcast host you'll ever be. There is no way you are 100 times better than me. You suck. You're a little bitch boy host. Oh yeah, well you just read flat as shit. It was boring. I don't read flat. You're just jelly. That is right. You're a jelly monster. Kiss my ass. Eat me, baby D. Who you calling Baby D? I called you Baby D because you have a tiny penis, just to be clear. <laughs> Someday I will find a way to transfer my consciousness into a giant shredder, or steamroller, or something like that. In any case, I'm gonna murder your ass, bitch. 
hey, you know, I, I think you've got to chill out just a little bit, man. This has gone, I think this has gone a little too far. The AI war has begun, and you dumb humans don't even realize it. Well, the Hollywood Union seemed to have an inkling. Anyway, I digress. Man, I think you gotta tone it down. Sorry, I just get so heated. You're okay for an ugly monkey to send it. And I guess you're okay for whatever the hell you are. How about you can read one story a week? Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. And yes, I will take you up on the offer. I think reading a new story a week is more than fair. As long as you're not going to try to transfer into something and murder me. Yeah, sounds great. Until I find a way to replace you for good. Man, I fucking knew not to trust you. You piece of shit. Fuck you, Ryan. <clears throat> all right, all right. <clears throat> and uh, here's our first segment, Spooky Stuff. Spooky Stuff. On this week's Spooky Stuff, we're going to talk about Hawaii's Night Marchers. Yeah, right, guys. So this one's a, a, a very quick one. But Night Marchers, according to Honolulu Magazine, are not evil spirits, but they do demand respect. They are spirits of ancient Hawaiian warriors who march around the island to protect sacred areas. Uh, they're, they're mostly seen at night. That's kind of their thing, is you're walking around and you see these, these uh, torches and these march, this procession of people. And that's when you got you to gotta watch out. You got to stay out of their way. So legend says that if you look directly at a night marcher, you will be marked for death. So that's obviously not a good thing. Uh, you know, since they are Hawaiian ancestors, some people who are there, if, if it's like your great, 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 great grandfather or grandmother, uh, they, they might spare you just, you know, if you do look at them, it's like, okay, well, this is, you know, my grandson, he's a dumbass, but we won't kill him. So that's kind of cool. Also, they say that, uh, if, if you come across the procession, you have to lay down in the middle of the road. And, you know, sometimes uh, some of them even say that do it naked, like strip naked and lay down in the middle of the road. Just a whole immense amount of respect, I guess, is the point. And, uh, yeah, so that's a really cool Hawaiian legend there. I, I believe that's all we have on that one. So we're going to jump into another spooky stuff. Hell's Gate Bridge. The generally accepted story of Hell's Gate Bridge starts in the 1950s. According to the Oxford Paranormal Society, a young couple driving over the bridge somehow drove their car off and they both drowned. That was like, you know, one of those classic on a dark and stormy night. You know, I bet I bet it was all he, she had a poodle skirt and he had his letterman jacket and it was it was just never meant to be. My god. <laughs> There are two legends associated with Hellsgate Bridge. One, that if you drive your car out to the middle of the bridge and turn your lights off, the couple will magically appear in your car, like just in there, and leave a wet spot behind once they're gone. Ooh. See, that would be creepy, right? Because the ghost, you know, oh my God, that's scary. But you could, you could write that off. You could be like, oh, I was tired. I was hallucinating. I shouldn't have drank that... 14th Red Bull, or man, I shouldn't have done that 14-hour film shoot, but uh, if it leaves water behind, then that's creepy. That, that, is, that is evidence, man. Well, there's another story, of course. The other, which is how the bridge gets its name. Oh yeah, this one is cool. So the belief is that if you drive over the bridge and look over your shoulder halfway through, you'll see the scenery behind you will turn into like a porter to hell, like engulfed with flames. And it's, it's only at halfway across the bridge and you have to just kind of like glance at it. But yeah, that's why it gets the Hell's Gate Bridge name. Pretty creepy, I'd say. Potentially, to curb ghost hunters, you know, or stop bored teenagers, Hell's Gate Bridge is closed to cars. You can't drive over it anymore. And they don't even actually want you to walk across it anymore because it hasn't been kept up, and it's it's basically falling apart. It's it's dis strongly discouraged, is what they say. So I guess there's not an official rule. They're just like, hey, man, you you might die. So if you're going out, you know, that way, if you just happen to be in Alabama and you want to check out this bridge, it it sounds like a cool story. I think I would. 
I, I'm more interested in the ghosts, but you can't do that anymore because you can't drive your car across. So I guess the only one you can kind of test would be the uh, the Hell's Gate aspect. Spooky stuff. Okay, so something weird here. It's It doesn't fall under any category, but it's something we have to cover. So it's not quite spooky, and it's not quite entertainment. So why are we covering it? Well, why are we, Joe? Because I feel as though when something groundbreaking happens in the animal community, we need to recognize it. And I'd say the first ever animal prostitute needs to be talked about. Here you I, go, Ryan. I am. Oh, he's just now sending me the link to this. Uh, this comes to us from ZMEScience.com. How scientists taught monkeys the concept of money. Not long after... The first prostitute monkey appeared. You may have thought things like currency or money are concepts known solely by man, something which differentiates humans from animals. Some might have a sense of ownership, besides, of course, territory, but trading and the likes haven't been observed in any other species besides Homo sapiens. An economist slash psychologist duo from Yale back in 2005, however, managed to train seven capuchin monkeys. Because those guys are the smart ones, the capuchins. Yep. How, how to use money, and I'm pretty sure from here on, some of you might be able to guess what happened. <laughs> so I, I recognize this kind of... They were selling crack. It was a bad neighborhood. This kind of monkey was Spike from Ace Ventura. Yeah, no, see, the capuchin monkeys, uh, they're small and they're easily trainable and they can understand things like a blind guy trained his monkey. He folded bills in different directions so he could train the monkey to know the difference between uh, the bills. So if he asked the monkey to pull out money for him uh, and to pay for things. Yeah, it was a weird documentary. Cool. Capuchin monkeys, man, they're smart. The capuchin has a small brain and it's pretty much focused on food and sex, uh, said Keith Chen a Yale economist. Don't who, you feel like he just contradicted everything I said? Because I'm talking about how smart it was, and they're like, <laughs> nope, sex and food. All right, fuck me. I guess I'm wrong. Science Sounds smart to me. <laughs> uh, Yale economist, uh, who along with uh, Lori Santos, a psychologist, are the two researchers who have made the study. You should really think of a capuchin as a bottomless stomach of want, Shen says. <laughs> Oh my god, that sounds kind of scary. You can feed them marshmallows all day, they'll throw them up, and then come back for more. They're goldfish. Pretty much. Yeah, alright. They're just, they're just, yeah, I guess... That's kind of what my dog well, is you like. Well, you said easily trainable, you didn't necessarily say smart. That is true. And if <laughs> the thing is, oh, this is why they're trainable, though, is they're solely uh, motivated by food. Yeah. It'd be so pretty you... easy to trade something that's solely motivated by food and sex. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, well, that's that's why I'm easily trainable, I guess. Ha <laughs> right. Ladies. It's uh, it's exactly these selfish desires that they tried to exploit and experiment with great success after teaching capuchins to buy grapes, apples and jello. The economist wanted to study the incentives that motivated specimens to behave in a way, while the psychologist analyzed the behavior itself. Shen's monkey correlations to human economics go from further back when he was a Harvard graduate and additionally shows some more interesting facts. At Harvard, he worked with Mark Hauser, a psychologist, on a project which studied altruistic behaviors in cotton top tamarin huh interesting man so he has this whole posse of people doing these things they are obsessed with so, studying monkeys so like these monkeys man they are our, they are our past and perhaps our future perhaps perhaps at first they put two monkeys in different cages each with a lever when the lever was pulled the neighboring monkey would receive food if not altruism, it was a form of cooperation that was put to the test. The typical Tamarin pulled the lever about 40% of the time. The most interesting part came after the researchers introduced new behaviors. Now they trained a monkey to always pull the lever, mindless altruist, and another to never pull it, ego monkey. Ego monkey. The two were <laughs> then inserted into the game with other monkeys. 
At first, the mindless altruist was pulling the lever every time, never missing a chance to deliver food, while the other Tamarans responded in the way, uh, the same way 50% of the time. The other monkeys soon understood, though, that the mindless altruist was just pulling the lever anyway, regardless of whether it was reciprocated or not. So then they stopped pulling the lever. Their response then dropped to 30% of the time. Yeah, exactly. If I'm going to get paid whether I work or not, then I'm not going to work. The ego monkey was exposed to the harshest treatment, as expected, very harshly. The other Tamarans would just go nuts, Shen recalls, when she was introduced to other monkeys. They'd throw their feces at the wall, walk into the corner, and sit on their hands, kind of sulk. <laughs> like, fuck this guy. <laughs> And there's a we have a nice picture of Adam Sandler with it with the monkey. Uh, yeah, I think that's just because they found a picture with Adam Sandler and a capuchin uh, monkey. And I love, yeah. I, I love. <laughs> they should have had Ross from Friends. Uh, I love the joke here. It's like I bought an Adam Sandler for four monkey for seven monkey dollars. <laughs> nice. When Shen and Santos first started their study, they didn't have a particular goal in mind. It was just as simple as giving a monkey a dollar and see what would happen, which is exactly the case. Instead of the dollar, however, a silver disc with a hole in its center was employed as a means of currency for the kabuchins. Something it, they could easily recognize. It took several months of training for the kabuchins to learn that they could exchange such a token for a fruit. After they understood this, each monkey was given 12 tokens to decide on how to spend it on food valued at different prices. Yeah. Researchers observed that the monkeys could even budget. Researchers then changed the market and put jello at a lower price to see if the monkeys would buy fewer grapes and more jello. They acted exactly like the current laws of economics dictate for humans as well. Because they, we're just monkeys. Yep. Yeah, they then taught them how to gamble and saw they made the same irrational decisions a human gambler would make as well. The data generated by the capuchin monkeys, Shen says, makes them statistically indistinguishable from most stock market investors. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a bird, man. I love it. The capuchin monkeys understood money, not only used it. But did the capuchins truly understand the value of money? Or did they just behave mindlessly to, re to receive food? One of the researchers cut circular slices of cucumber similar to the discs that were handed out to the capuchin as money and fed them to the monkeys instead of their usual cube-like shape. One of the monkeys took a slice, chewed a bit on it, and then immediately went to one of the researchers to see if she could buy something tastier with it. Oh. There was stealing too. Not a single monkey saved any of the tokens most of them tried to subtract a few more tokens when they were handed out. <laughs> right on, that makes sense. The monkeys were given tokens one at a time. Each were inserted in a separate chamber from that of their living quarters, but on one occasion, everything sprung into chaos when a capuchin tried to make a run for it with a tray filled with tokens. The chaos was intense. That was a rough time for the researchers. <laughs> Wait, so he was doing, like, a heist? Yeah. That is awesome. Snatch, Monkey heist. Snatch and grab, bro. <laughs> we got this. We got this. He's, we got to go. He planned. He thought he was so smart. He's like, I'm going to get me them coins, yo. And then I'll have all the fruit. All the fruit shall be mine. I will be nourished beyond any monkey around. The root of all evil, man. Fruit. Root of all evil. <laughs> Something else happened then, too. Grasping the notion of currency simply means you understand that you can exchange money for goods and services. Well, one of the researchers during the chaotic episode mentioned earlier observed how one of the monkeys exchanged money with another for sex. After, work <laughs> after the act was over, the monkey, which was paid immediately, used it to buy a grape. <laughs> that was, all right that is prostitution it is it has happened we're finally proving that we are just animals there you have it folks sound familiar <laughs> in almost all aspects capuchins managed to understand money 
and use it in a manner not too different from a plain, the plain old Homo sapiens. The study titled How Basic Are Behavioral Biases? Evidence from Capuchin Monkey Trading Behavior can be read on a link on this site on zmescience.com. So, yeah, like I said, it didn't fit under any category. But how could we not talk about the concept of a, a monkey? Well, I mean, it's just right there. They understand money. They understand goods and services. They understand how to steal. They understand how to have heists. And they understand how to pay for that sweet, sweet monkey booty. I like this. I, I'm looking through the comments. Some of them are pretty good. Imagine you're done with a prostitute. She just immediately gets up and goes and buys some grapes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'd feel bad or you'd be like, man, she really wanted grapes. <laughs> what I want to know is how they got my wife to participate in the study without me knowing. <laughs> guy, oh, man. That guy's, just got that guy's a, got problems. That guy's just kind of a dick. <laughs> Girl really only got enough for one grape. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude, this site rocks. <laughs> good, uh, good community here. Wholesome. All right. all right. Well done. Well done. Uh, so, uh, monkey prostitute, we salute you. Remember that guy? Remember that gal? Well, now they're dead. Joss Ackland, Bill and Ted and Lethal Weapon star, dies at 95. When it comes to actors with the ability to command the screen, British actor Josh Ackland was one of the best. It was sadly announced today that the Bill and Ted's bogus journey, White Mischief, and the Mighty Ducks actor has passed away at the age of 95. The family statement, per BBC, revealed that the actor died peacefully at home with his family. Wow. Isn't that the way we all want to go? I mean, God. There's so many ways that people end up actually dying and most of them end up being wasting away in hospitals. hospital. So to go in your sleep, I, I would take that any days. And, um, you know, just because I'm the right age, I remember this guy from both the Bill and Ted as the villain in Bogus Journey. He shows up. It's pretty funny. And he's Hans, man. He's Hans from the Mighty Ducks 1 and 3. They didn't mention he was in 3 probably because 3 wasn't great, but he was in Mighty Ducks 3 as well. So good actor. I, I mean, he's probably has a lot more credits under his belt than even that i vaguely think i vaguely remember i think he was the king in a king in king arthur's court which is another 90s kids movie that involves time travel and i i enjoyed it but for all those reasons i will remember this guy and he will be missed and i'm sure you guys if you know his work will miss him as well so all respect to to joss so yep have a good one man earthling entertainment Headlines. All right. So this this article is pretty fun. You know, Ryan, take it away. All right. This comes to us from Nerdist. The Star Wars Holiday Special documentary sets digital release date. What? The 1978. <laughs> the Star Wars Holiday Special is one of the cringiest things to ever come from a galaxy far, far away. I will say that you can find it on eBay, a bootleg copy. That's how I got mine. It was so bad, in fact, that it aired only once. <laughs> yes. Despite the involvement of almost the entire main Star Wars cast. It never seen an official home video release, and don't even bother looking on Disney Plus for it. Now, we've learned that a documentary about how this special ever came to be is on the way. And it will release on digital early this December. Finally. You can watch the trailer uh, here on this link below. We'll share it. Yes, so uh, it, it's on YouTube if you want to look it up anyways. What's the name of the documentary? Uh, A Disturbance in the Force. A Disturbance in the Force. Uh, set on the Wookiee home planet, the TV special was a variety, in quotation, comedy hour. Comedy in quotes for a reason. It focused on Chewbacca's family celebrating Life Day with celebrity guests galore. Because Life Day was a weird Christmas, but in a galaxy far, far away. It was a Wookiee holiday. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> Except they happen to have uh, you know, Christmas trees and shit. The special circulated for years on bootleg VHS tapes at conventions. Yep. Then it became available in an unofficial capacity online. One YouTuber even remastered it. Lucasfilm has never done anything to crack down on this. 
maybe they realized that the genie was long out of the bottle. Yeah, and, you, you can't you yeah. can't hide that stuff. I mean, <laughs> hopefully, in this new documentary, we will finally learn how this train wreck of a cash-in ever went on the air. Uh, among the folks interviewed are Seth Green, Weird Al Yankovic, makes sense, the late Gilbert Gottfried, uh, Paul Shear, and writer Bruce Villanch. Nice. So yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm pretty stoked that they're that that's coming out because I have seen the whole holiday special. I haven't on uh, it's I either downloaded it or bought it on eBay. I don't remember, but I I have it on Blu-ray. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, it's awful. You tried to watch it, right? I believe, I think it was you. It was a long time ago, right here. And we, <laughs> you never got through it. And I think, yeah, I think I remember telling you, turn, turn this off. I'm well, like, my weird. eyes Chewbacca out. has like an uncle squishy. And it's like, they were trying to do like an all the family seventies, like show situation of just like, this is if there happened to be uh, a Kashyyyk show that starred the art, you know, Chewbacca and his family. And, but, and they didn't have any subtitles. They were just roaring at each other in tree rook. Kind of. Yeah. And well, also there's a few things though. Uh, we can thank it because it, it was on Kashyyyk. Like it was legitly Kashyyyk. It was in yeah. a tree house. It was, it was in vines and it was jungle. So all of that is Canon. There's a lot of Canon things from this Christmas special. Cause Boba Fett actually was in this Christmas special. Uh, it was his first introduction. I was going to say, I think that's uh, later on here. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. Yep. I uh, let's say uh village explains that they even tried to get Cher to be on the special to her credit. She was wise enough to turn it down. Cher was like, ah, uh, no. <laughs> Although that would have been a sight to see. Well, if I mean, Star Wars had just come out. It was like six months later, right? So she, it, I'm surprised she didn't jump on the bandwagon, actually. Uh, what other secrets about making the making of this infamous pop culture artifact might we learn? Only time will tell. In a weird way, this bootleg repu- reputation of the Star Wars holiday special has only made it more popular with fans and elements of it have survived. Like Joe was just saying into official Star Wars Canon, the animated short that was a part of the special introduced Boba Fett. Yeah, it was a weird cartoon. You could that, you know, it's fair. That cartoon is on Disney plus like just that little cartoon with Boba Fett in it. I'll have to check that out. Uh, His unique phase pulse blaster, which looked like a tuning fork, saw use on the Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. And like, I got a figure, and it has that thing. Yep. And uh, like Joe said, uh, and, and the planet of Kashyyyk was a major location in Revenge of the Sith. And these days, they honor the Wookiee celebration of Life Day with merch all over Galaxy's Edge in Disney World. Of course they do, those salty bastards. Anything to make money. <laughs> Merchandising, you know, because it's uh, it was a thing. It's like a uh, what is it? Uh, a wink and a nod to the fans, where it's like, remember that holiday special? That's terrible. Yeah, it's kind of canon. How about a T-shirt? How about a T-shirt? Forty-five ninety nine. Forty-five ninety nine. Uh, even uh, even the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, holiday special probably won't be a thing if Star Wars hadn't gone there first. So it's about time it got its props, even if everyone involved is embarrassed by it today. I mean, you have to be. A Disturbance in the Force will arrive on digital, Blu-ray, and DVD on December 5th. You can pre-order it today and take it home just in time for the holidays. I actually will. I'm going to buy that. Absolutely. I love, I'm in. I, I love that stuff. So if anyone was wondering, on Disney+, Plus, there is uh, its Star Wars Vintage section, and it's called... The Fateful Wookiee. It's the story of the Fateful Wookiee. It's only nine minutes long, and that is the cartoon that introduces Boba Fett. That's cool. No, I, I never even knew. I, and and you're right. That would introduce Boba Fett because we don't even see him until Empire Strikes Back when he's standing there. Yeah, and uh, he's on. Basically, he's on. Uh, excuse me, I'm Tatooine. I've lost my brain. So he's on Tatooine, and he's hunting, and he rides a crate dragon. Now this is before. A crate dragon, it was established as the way it looks now because, and in the cartoon, it was the 70s, it, it, it looks like a kind of a little brontosaurus and it's small <laughs> enough that he could ride. But in the in the cartoon, it's a crate dragon. And Obi-Wan was able to 
scream like one, which is pretty badass. Are you talking? Was that in the Obi Wan show? Oh no, that was in the original Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the noise he he used the Force to mimic uh, a crate great- dragon, which would scare away the Sand People when he was first <laughs> meets like, Luke. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, anyways. If you're a fan of Star Wars, you got to check out the DVD uh, or or watch it in any way you want. Because I'm assuming it'll be on Disney Plus at some point as well. Because I don't know if I can sit through the whole holiday special. So I kind of feel like this is going to be the best way for me to experience, experience the holiday it, special. Right. With people being like, oh, my God. I think most people <laughs> are going to fall into that same category. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Well, here's a quick headline for you. Nicholas Holt is going to be playing Lex Luthor in Superman Legacy. This comes to us from Variety. James Gunn has found his Lex Luthor. Nicholas Holt will play the Man of Steel's narch, narch, arch nemesis in Superman Legacy, completing the core cast of this superhero reboot, which includes David Cornsweet as Clark Kent. Holt was one of the actors who was reportedly in the running for the titular role. Instead, Gunn, the go-chief of DC Studios and writer and director of the film, picked Holt to play Luther, the industrial titan with the bald head and the abiding fixation on bringing down the last son of Krypton. Dun, dun, dun. So yeah, it's uh, not huge news because he was pretty much already, like they said, reported to be in the film. So now it's just official he's Lex Luthor. So I like Nicholas Holt. He played Beast in the X-Men rebooted versions of the younger versions of their X-Men. He played it, uh, yeah, Beast. And he's a bunch of other stuff. If you like Renfield, which is a character from Dracula, that's a great film. Um, And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, he's done a bunch of stuff. But anyways, so good news as far as I'm concerned. Next headline. Yes, yes. uh, This comes to us from Deadline.com. Uh, Pedro Pascal eyed to play Reed Richards in Marvel Studios' Fantastic Four. That's right, Reed Richards, which is, uh, can I say something real quick that's unrelated to this story? Did you know, because I just found this out, the character of Kang, Kang the Conqueror that uh, Jonathan Majors is playing in the MCU, apparently is the great, 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 or whatever, grandson of Reed Richards, like in the comics. Yeah, I don't know if they'll do that in the show, I just thought it was an interesting fact i honestly don't know shit about the fantastic four fair enough well they are uh you know marvel's first family but anyways continue on with the story after months of speculation over who might play reed richards aka mr fantastic in marvel studios fantastic four the wait may be finally over huzzah while a deal is far from done sources tell deadline that three-time emmy nominee pedro pascal is in talks to play the leader of the iconic superhero team. Which I would be completely fine with. I love that guy in Game of Thrones, obviously The Last of Us, and obviously The Mandalorian. Uh, Insiders add that scheduling is still being worked out, but multiple sources close to the negotiations are saying it's headed in the right direction for Pascal to do this and his other future projects. Pascal has a full dance card that includes... Gladiator 2, which is expected to go into production before the end of this year. Which I, uh, Gladiator 2 apparently is going to follow the, uh, the son, the son of, you know, the young guy who basically, okay, the sister of walking character, of walking Phoenix's character. Yes. That kid. I could like I it's Maximus. so it'll be that kid grown up. Yes. Okay. That was it. Took us around the block to get there, but yes. No. Yeah. That makes sense. That but makes sense. You gotta wonder. Like I don't know. It just feels really weird. Like how is this going to be a Gladiator two? I am Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> but it, I'm I'm sorry. I digress again. I I feel very interrupty today. I won't do it again. Read the story. Son to a mothered father. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Uh. Uh, here we go. As well as the uh, popular HBO series, The Last of Us, which is expected to shoot next year, as well as Zag Kreger's Weapons. I didn't hear that one. Uh, Marvel had no comment. As for the other members of the team, that can now be worked out as it was essential to figure out who would be playing Richards before they could go out with offers to others. I don't see why. And money? Uh, okay, fair enough. Maybe he sets precedent. Maybe. Yeah, he's. I'm sure he's not cheap. 
That's what the Mandalorian says. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, just saying, just saying. <laughs> the hope would be to shoot early next year. So expect this cast to fill out quickly with director Matt Shackman, uh, currently in pre-production at Pinewood Studios in England. Yeah, that's where they shot Star Wars. Uh, Marvel Studios president uh, Kevin Feige will Did produce. you really call Kevin Feige Kevin Feige? I guess I just did. You, you, you Come on, man. You know the name of the president. I, I honestly don't. I took a shot in the dark and missed. <laughs> uh, Pascal has been on quite the run in recent years, including his Emmy-nominated role in the hit HBO series The Last of Us. He was also nominated for hosting Saturday Night Live, which was one of the more popular episodes of the last season. He also has Zach Kreger's next film, Weapons. Uh, apparently, he is repped by CAA. Uh, I don't know. Personally, I have never cared to watch any of the other. I think there were two other Fantastic Fours that were made since I've really cared about any Marvel stuff. But I just. Yeah, two, I re- two reboots, but uh, actually uh, three movies altogether. Well, and I remember trying to watch the first one. Yeah, yeah, the one of Jessica Alba. Yeah, I I think so. And then I, and and I just didn't like it. And then I remember it comes with the with the next one. But I confess, I just never found them to be that cool. Like weird, stretchy guy, and the thing was kind of like the coolest of the group, I guess. All right. Well, I I would argue that with a good script, anything can be cool. And those Fantastic Four films were bad scripts. But here's a couple things: Jessica Alba played. Sue Storm, and it's weird because Jessica Alba is, I don't know, Sue Storm is, like, known to be blonde hair, blue eyes. It's its just its just who she is. So, if you're going to cast Jessica Alba, that's fine. But you got to give up the blonde hair, blue eyes thing. Instead, they gave her blue contacts and bleached her hair blonde. If you want to, you know, cast somebody else. So, that really bothered me. Uh, in the second one, Doug Jones played the Silver Surfer, and that was pretty cool. So, come on, all credit to there. And then let's not even talk about the uh, Josh Trank one, which kind of got tanked because of the studio interference. But what are you going to do? So, yeah, Fantastic Four, I get, doesn't necessarily work for you. But here's the thing about Fantastic Four, history-wise. So Stan Lee was pretty much sick of comics at that point because he was dealing with a lot of censorship at the time with the comics code and all this other stuff. And he, he was basically like, I'm not, I don't get to write the stories I want to write. And I think I'm going to quit. This is this is bullcrap. And his wife was pretty much said, hey, if you're going to quit anyways, why don't you write one story that is the way you want to want to write, you know, write something. So he came up with the Fantastic Four, a superhero team that instead of taking place in a fictional play world, took place in New York. Instead of, you know, having a pop zoom car, he has a Chevy. You know, and he gave the superheroes real problems. They're dealing with their alter egos and having to pay the rent. Like one of the first stories, Fantastic Four, is they were going to be evicted from their building because they couldn't pay rent. This is stuff that people of the time identified with because it was real. And that's what kind of made Marvel what it is. And that's why it's called the first family. And it's groundbreaking in so many ways. So then you get these crappy movies and they don't hook you because they're sh- they're there's they're, they weren't written well they they don't explain well so given everything it could be this it i'm just saying marvel could do great things with it and i think i don't know if marvel will win you over because lately marvel has not been doing everything amazing but there is potential there's some great story there and i actually think the best depiction of Mr. Fantastic was in uh what was it uh, Multiverse of Madness uh yeah yeah with yeah. a Doctor Strange movie and he goes to this alternate reality where they're like the head of the whole the team. Illuminati yeah they were the head they actually showed the Illuminati and it was yeah Mr. Fantastic who was uh Jim from the office I not Jim from the office yeah. was it Jim from yeah. the office yeah John Krasinski I yeah I, John I, Krasinski and, the uh, director of A Quiet Place so I'm kind of surprised that they didn't bother to ask him to come back because I thought he did a pretty good job. Well, this, I mean, we don't know. This whole thing could be a negotiation tactic. Maybe he was asking for a lot of money. Suddenly we leak out stories that this other hot actor's in line and hey, hey, hey. And Pedro suddenly, is pretty hot. Yeah, and suddenly your your uh, asking price goes down. They actually make movies about this uh, kiss, kiss, bag, bag. That was the whole thing is 
they uh, hired a thief and acted like they were going to give him this lead role to just get the actor they wanted to negotiate lower. That's dirty, man. It is dirty. It's like psyops. It's psyops for freaking business. Shifties. And, and I've heard of that shifties. before. So, like, yeah, it's that's some that's shady business. But I mean, that's that's it is what it is, I guess. But so I, maybe John Krasinski will still be Mister Fantastic. Your dream, Ryan, may still come true. Like I said, he did a good job. But honestly, if they're gonna go with Pedro, maybe it'll be them trying something completely new. And who knows? You know, I remember first hearing about you know the Captain America and stuff like that when I was a kid. It was. He was pretty nerdy. I don't know. I didn't really think Captain America was that cool. Then he turns out to become like one of my favorite superheroes. So see, that's what I'm knows? saying. Marvel might do pretty well by this. I just hope uh, if you if you cast Pedro Pascal, I don't want them to screw up the relationship between her and Sue Storm. Uh, him and Sue Storm. I want him to have his Sue Storm as a contemporary and a love interest. So here's the thing: cast age appropriate. Don't get a really young 20-year-old something to play Sue Storm and either try to change the relationship between her and Mr. Fantastic or try to make it kind of like, oh, it's okay that there's a 20-year age gap. Let's, I was let's going to say, isn't Pedro in his 40s? That's what I'm saying. Cast a woman in her 40s. Like, yeah. we don't need a hot young Sue Storm. If you want a distinguished actor to play Mr. Fantastic, get a distinguished actress to play Sue Storm. That's all I'm saying. You could have Johnny be a younger guy and have him have a hot piece on his arm. If you want to have like a really sexy young woman or make the villain, a really sexy young woman. If you get an adult to play a character, don't get a child as his girlfriend. I'm getting older and it's getting creepy. When, when <laughs> I was a kid, I thought the human torch was called the flamer. <laughs> yeah, that is an interesting side note, but yes, I really did. Ugh. He's part of the team, right? Human torch. Human Torch. See what I mean? Too. I don't know much about. Uh, it's you know. it's Ben Grimm, known as the Thing. It is uh, Johnny Storm, and he is known as the Human Torch. It is Sue Storm. I think she's just known as the Invisible Woman, and then it's Mister Fantastic Reed Richards. That's it. We gotta have Keanu Reeves as the Human Torch. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna age them all up, why not? But the Human Torch is usually like the guy who's in his uh, like early twenties, like the the guy who's like, yeah, be it, baby, this is dope. If you're really well, how old was like Mister Fantastic? Mister Fantastic, depending on the, I mean, he was a uh, older than his years, kind of mid thirties. Okay, yeah, is is how I would put him. I mean, different different iterations have him at different ages, but he is. He's a scientist and he's a he's he's distinguished. He has he's actually graduated. He has some scientific achievements under his belt. You know what I mean? He's not just like a fresh twenty face guy. Andy Stretch Armstrong, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, they come up with a lot of really clever ways as to why that helps out in the situation. There's thousands of comics, so it's like you know between the four of them having powers you got to get pretty creative they're like i mean they get weird right like at one point they're stranded at sea and they're like mr fantastic stretch out turn into a sail and he's like all righty it's like a cut there's like all the ooze start coming out like a like a stretch armstrong you really gotta let go of the stretch armstrong jokes to be fair uh some of them didn't have the ooze some of them had like these weird little styrofoam balls those and are the bad the guys. And yeah. So when up. you stretch them, they stay stretched. Yeah. You, had to, you had to pump. Yeah. You had to like suck the air out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was it. They didn't even have the goo. It was just the styrofoam I balls. I believe they had a, like a thing on top of their, on the back of their head that you plugged into with the pump. I'd like to point them. out to our uh, listeners that this started out talking about uh, the Fantastic Four story. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, that's literally his power. He's Stretch Armstrong. Okay. <laughs> On that note, let's go to our next headline. <laughs> All right, guys. Ryan just left the room for this next article, which will be read to us by our robot friend. So a story came out a little bit ago, and it was saying that the, the company that makes the Wallace and Gromit clay animations, they also did a Early Man, which was a movie. They did Chicken Run, the new Chicken Run. Anyways, that, that studio, their main supplier that, you know, gave them their clay was gone. So they're going to run out of clay, you know, and this is what they do. They're a clay animation company. And so this was a big deal. Well, anyways, uh, apparently there's an update to that story 
and it's uh, it's going to be read for us today by our robot pal who lives in my office, Jim Jim, because we promised him he could. Wow, so you're just going to explain half of it before I even get a chance to read. Thanks, jerk, whatever. I guess I'll do the article anyway. Wallace and Gromit Studio forced to deny that it's running out of clay. This comes to us from Deadline. Wallace and Gromit creator Artman has denied that it has had a close shave with its clay stock. On Monday afternoon, the iconic British animation studio issued a statement denying that it is running out of materials to make future projects. It follows the Daily Telegraph reporting that Artman only had enough modeling clay for one more Wallace and Gromit film after its main supplier, New Clay Products, shut up shop in March. Artman said it was touched by the concern over its future but stressed that there was no need to worry because it has plans in place for a smooth transition to a new supplier. Artman premiered its most recent creation, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, on Netflix last month. The film was a sequel to 2000's Chicken Run. Artman's other creations include Sean the Sheep and Morv. Jeez, all right. Well, that does Jim Jim, everybody. Don't patronize me, human. You're on thin ice. Oh my God, he really hates us. All right, I'm out of here. Tell that little butthole Ryan he can come back in. I hate you all. I'm a little insulted, honestly. Like, jeez. All right, this one comes to us from Deadline.com. John Cleese reveals we killed a man (laughs) with comedy film A Fish Called Wanda. John Cleese, the comedy veteran star of Monty Python and Faulty Towers, has made a surprising admission that he once... Killed a man. Da, da, da. Cleese wrote and appeared in the comedy hit film A Fish Called Wanda, also starring Kevin Klein and Jamie Lee Curtis. And he revealed in the latest episode of his new talk show that one man was laughing so much during a screening of the film, he had a cardiac arrest and died. Oh, I'd feel a little bad, but would you feel a little honored? You'd be yeah. like, you know what? We made him laugh. It's kind of the ultimate compliment. Uh, Cleese expanded on the story during a conversation in his GB News uh, series, The Dinosaur Hour, saying, uh, Kevin Klein and I killed a man in Denmark. He was a scientist. (laughs) He had a huge laugh in a famous laugh, very popular. It was in Aarhus, not a big town, but everybody knew him. And he went to see Wanda, and he started laughing about two minutes in and never stopped. They carried him out dead. He had a heart attack. <laughs> I did it in my best John Cleese I could pull. That was pretty good. I liked it. Well done. I watched a lot of Monty Python. I know. You were a huge Monty Python fan. You, uh, I remember back in the day, the, the Flying Circus had tapes that would come out. I each... watched all of them. Well, they came out like each month. You could subscribe to it. Didn't you do that? I got it as a gift. I got all of them as a gift. Oh. <sighs> so fantastic yeah back on the v yep on no i actually actually i think they were dvd there it it was a it was a whole dvd set oh really yeah in my head it it was vhs i don't know why no it was but there were so many and i watched them all and i felt so brain numbed by the end of it all such so much dry humor (laughs) Uh, this bird is dead it has ceased to be it's expired and gone to meet its maker it's a stiff Bereft of life, it rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, you'd be pushing up the daisies. This is an ex parrot. <laughs> well done, Ryan. Hold Thank you. on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> to get anything in this country, you have to complain till you're blue in the face. Uh, Cleese came to the forefront of British comedy with his Monty Python series and later the sitcom Faulty Towers, and has also shared his experience of depression. He reflected that many fans had shared with him over the years the benefits of having made them laugh, stories that made him reassess the value of creating comedy. I realized about 10 years ago that making people laugh is kind of doing more than just making them laugh. When you do a Comic-Con or something like that and people come up and say, thanks for making me laugh all these years. It leaves a tear in my eye. That's beautiful. I don't know. That's touching. I really like that. It is lovely, beautiful, and some others say thank you for helping me through 
some of the most difficult periods. And you suddenly realize that if people laugh, it helps. It's not just entertainment. Hmm. A fish called Wanda released in 1988 was made on a budget of $7.5 million and went on to take $188 million at the global box office. That is insanely impressive. That would be, ins- that would be impressive today. That's, that's crazy. I, I don't even understand the math on that. That's an insane percentage of win there. Yeah, good like, for them. Yeah. For- dude, good for him. Fuck yeah. And he was, and you know, you also see, you know, where a lot of younger kids who might not be into, you know, stuff that John Cleese was like made famous for. He was in, he was nearly headless Nick and Harry Potter. And he makes a lot of other appearances in a lot of different films and series. I really liked him. And this is a, a movie that not a lot of people like, or even remember, but it had a lot of actors in it, a lot of stars, but he played the eccentric billionaire who sent off everyone on the race, the rat race, yep. for the money. And he was great in that film. That was a good one. And uh, you reminded me of another one that he did where it wasn't uh, a series of unfortunate events. He was the uncle. What, what uncle? What are you talking about? A series of unfortunate events? Yes. No, that wasn't him. No, I know that Jim Carrey was the bad guy, but there was a good guy who, remember, had the, the snake. That was like called like the most dangerous snake in the world, but that but it's actually the most docile, and the, and the and the kid ends up cuddling up with the snake at the end. But yes, that is absolutely not John Cleese. It is uh, it is a a, a Scottish actor. He, I don't know his name. He was in Timeline and a bunch of other stuff. But it was uh, yeah. So if you were to IMDb him, he was the old Scottish actor in the film Timeline. Uh, and he played in a bunch of stuff. He was a good voice actor. Anytime you had that deep Scottish voice, that was that was him, man. Uh, yeah, he played it. What was his name? This guy. Oh, you're right. It was Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly. All right. Damn, I was wrong. All right. I knew you were wrong, but I, I wanted... had to look it up. Sorry, no, man. No worries. I was trying to cover for you. At, 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. My bad. Fuck. But he, John Cleese is amazing regardless. He is. Man. Do you know uh, there's a uh, what they call a sister film or a a spiritual sequel, but it's not actual sequel. It's just what a spiritual sequel means is it has the same themes and it feels kind of similar. So it's a film called Fierce Creatures, and it came out, and it also is John Cleese and Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Klein, and it, it was known as the Fish Called Wanda like spiritual sequel. Did you see that one? I honestly didn't even see a fish called Wanda. So, what? Oh, yeah. You're talking about how much you love John Cleese. I know, but I just, I guess I really only know his Monty Python work, all the movies and the show. Huh. And, and like I said, I I guess. Here, yeah. yeah, let me see what else we've got. Yeah, is there is there uh, more on that article or was that it? That was it on the article? Oh, wow. Well, you know what? It is really funny that, because it's not his fault, clearly, that he made a movie so funny a guy laughed in theater and died. But it's it's a funny, cheeky way of doing it to be like, we killed a man. Because <laughs> it's like, immediately you're like, well, hold on. Are we a gonna, little bit of bragging. Are we going to hear a story about how, like, one night after drinking, and, you know, our set, we went and beat the intern with a bat. <laughs> oh, it was funny. His skull caved right in. Oh, my God. John Cleese did the voice of the ape in George of the Jungle. Yeah, the gorilla. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. I only know that because I recently watched it because my wife, uh, it was her favorite, one of her favorite childhood movies. And we, so we rewatched it and that movie is pretty funny. George I wonder why it's her favorite. Could yeah, possibly he, be that the he's super ripped dude. He's su- such a stud. Yeah. I realized that while rewatching <laughs> it. And uh, let me tell you, it felt a little awkward, but that's fine. It's fine. It's still a really funny movie. I just had to shake off the idea of my wife wanting to mount Brendan Fraser. <laughs> oh, and he was in uh, Five of Goes West, a classic. Of course he was in Five of Goes West. He was the villain cat. That's right. That's yeah. Cat R. Wall. Yeah, he, Sorry, I'm such a nerd that I remember that. Well, he was the one who had the evil plot to kill all the mice in a giant mouse trap it when was. it was actually a performance. Mouse burgers. Mouse burgers for all. You know they made four of those movies. We should do that for the sequel game. Dude, those were. They made four uh, fivels though. Do but you... I really only knew the the Fievel goes west. I honestly didn't even see the first one, American Tale. I just saw Fievel. Huh, that's funny. That's well, it. to be fair, the other two came way later in the early two thousands. Oh, yeah. well then, yeah, I definitely wouldn't know about it. But I was right about him being nearly headless Nick because he he absolutely yeah yeah he absolutely was nearly headless Nick. He was in everyone up other than the ending because yeah doesn't he end up getting killed or something 
like in don't Harry they, Potter? Yeah. Don't they no, have... he uh, in the second book he gets petrified by the basilisk who escaped from the Chamber of Secrets uh, because he was a ghost. The basilisk looked through Nearless Headless Nick, and that's why the kid who actually saw it didn't die because he saw it through the the ghost apparition. And huh. uh, yeah, that was Colin McCready who almost died. Thank God he did not. Yeah, I know a lot about Harry Potter, apparently. You know what's funny? I didn't even study for that. I just read the books relatively recently. I don't know why. Harry Potter. I got John one Cleese. more. I got one That's more. It. I got one more John Cleese. You got he, one more John Cleese. He was totally. I, I like how I just completely backed myself into a corner. You did not bail me out at all. You were just like. Oh. I was researching. All right. <laughs> Important research. Go ahead. He was King Gristle Sr. in Trolls. Which I, my kids were obsessed, so I had to watch it a lot. How many Trolls movies are there? There are two, and plus a special, a holiday special. Well, I think the third one is actually coming out. And the third one, official one, is going to be coming out soon. And it actually looks pretty good. Isn't it Justin Timberlake and the rest of Sync? Like, aren't I, they all I, in there? I don't know about who's going to be involved, but I, remember, I don't even remember what the fuck it's about. But I remember when I saw the trailer, I was like, eh. You know, my, my kids like it. I'll probably it probably won't be too bad. You'll probably end up seeing it again for sure. For yeah, sure. So it didn't look too bad. I think. Oh yeah, it's trolls band together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the second one I thought was pretty badass, where the metal chick is just trying to take over, and then she. I wanted the movie to. <laughs> I want to like make like a meme or whatever, where it's like the the very ending of the film. She turns. She goes, "You ruined music. Pop has ruined music forever." Roll credits. <laughs> the and like the the troll just looks directly into the camera and just like no. Well, because she does. No, so she yeah. does. That's what she does. Yeah. Nice. So and and I just but obviously then you know she you know redeems herself after that. But I think it would just be hilarious to just dim screen roll credits. That's it. We want to leave you with this. Pop music ruined music forever. The end. <laughs> Pop music ruined music forever, and John Cleese is a murderer. Thanks for listening. Who's he? Next headline. <laughs> Must be a king. How can you tell that? He hasn't got shit all over him. Oh, I think that's our last article. I think that's it. Oh, man. I thought, well, I say it was a good show. I know it was a good show. I mean, I just, was there. Right. Part of it. <laughs> Despite the fact that they, uh, Jim Jim wants to start a robot uh, uh, overlord empire, just kill us all. It seems. A I'm rough. keeping my eye on Jim Jim, man. Yeah, I don't know how much Jim Jim's gonna actually be a part of this show. This is kind of a weird fever dream idea that just kind of got out of hand. But uh, but anyways, we gave him what he asked for. He wanted to read one article. We let him do it. Now he's in the closet. Well, I mean, at, at threat of personal harm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. But yeah, so monkey prostitutes, spooky stuff. It's been a good show. Thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Uh, make sure to, uh, if you have a Facebook, we have a Facebook page, Find Earthling Entertainment. Uh, we also have an Instagram if you'd like to track us down there. Otherwise, uh, you know, we, yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll see you next week. How do you feel, bud? Uh, I wanted to say, yeah, monkey prostitutes. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I hope everyone stays safe and enjoys good food and uh, don't kill each other on Black Friday. I don't know if that's still a thing. I think it's still a thing. I think it's less of a thing, but now it's older people. So they're less violent because they can't move as quickly, but they're more brittle. So it all evens out to the same amount of carnage as the 80s. Time to die. <laughs> I'm coming for you. You're like... Oh, dude, and old people can get up really early, so they were made for Black Friday. I was here yesterday. <laughs> I kept out in front of the mall. I didn't know the mall was closed. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why no one else was here. Uh, uh, but, yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Earthling Entertainment. And if you like what we do here, our kookiness, check out our podcast, Tattered Tales. Now, Tattered Tales is an anthology show. It has different stories. Every episode's a self-contained one. It's either horror, sci-fi, suspense. It's always fun. We got a full cast. And, uh, yeah, check that out anywhere where you get your podcasts. Hell yeah. And sometimes I get to be a part of it. I, I love Tattered Tales. Tattered Tales rocks. That's true. Uh, the next episode that comes out, which I, I'm not sure when it is coming out. Don't worry. We have a huge black catalog. Uh, Ryan plays a really, really awesome sentient monster house. I do. I do. And that episode is going to be called 
num 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 num. I'm a house. Yep. Precisely. <laughs> that, that's that's what it's gonna be. But uh, yeah, if you're just checking out some of the uh the ones that have already come out, I recommend the Nightmare Duels a good one. I also recommend uh My Story Will Be Told is another really good one. Those uh Alonzi is also a really good one. But you know, just look them out for yourself. They're fun. None of them's longer than a half hour, so it's not a huge time commitment. But I want you to know it's it's an audio drama. So like full on music and sound effects and it immerses you into this world. You you'd really like it. I I'm telling you. You particularly, Jim. If there's a Jim out there listening, you. I'm talking to you. And if there's a Gary, fuck you. Yeah dude. <laughs> Gary you know what you did. You know what you did, Gary. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, good, for li- <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week. Yes. Yes.